So great to see you this morning. In this time of year, there's a lot to worry about. People worry about a lot of stuff. Men and women, we seem to worry about different things. Like during the Christmas season, I think a lot of the women are worrying about things like, did I buy enough? Do we have enough? Have I done enough? Are the kids going to be happy? Did I forget anything? And it's a lot of stress. You don't want, oh, we missed out so-and-so. And, and this creates a lot of stress with women. Guys tend to be a little bit different. It seems like we worry about a couple things, two things, really. How am I going to pay for all this? And when do the relatives go home? That's what we worry about. But worry never solves the problems of tomorrow. It doesn't. Worry just robs me of my peace today. You know, I could have a peaceful day today, but once I start worrying about something, I've lost it. The day's ruined. There are legitimate things to worry about. You know, people having a health issue, a financial problem, a family crisis. Uh, are the kids doing well? Are they all right? Am I going to have a job? Maybe you're in a situation like that where you don't know if your job's going to last. Uh, what's the doctor going to say? What's the doctor report going to say? There's real issues. There are real problems. And as I'm speaking today, I'm not trying to take light, treat lightly the real problems that you're going through. I'm not. I don't want to treat it lightly. Those are real things, real concerns. But at the exact same time, no matter how serious you think your problem is, if you worry about it, it's going to rob your joy. If you worry about it, it's still going to rob your joy. No matter how small you think your problem is, if you worry about it, it's going to rob your joy. You're going to lose your peace. You won't sleep at night. And the celebration that we're having this month is we're celebrating the Prince of Peace. And what I notice during the Christmas season, that's the season that I see the least amount of peace in people's lives. Because they're worried about this. They're worried about that. The season itself brings on a lot of stress to run around and get this done, to run around and get that done. So how do I let go of that worry and really embrace the peace of, uh, the peace of God? How am I going to do that? When you have a real encounter with God, you want to tell people. You want to bring them hope. That's my dream today. I want to bring you hope. I want to encourage you. I want to let you know that you can have peace, that you can have comfort, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in your life. Psalms 184 says this, blessed are those whose strength is in you, meaning in God, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. When it says pilgrimage, it's talking about people that have chosen to go on a pilgrimage to follow God. As they pass through the valley of tears, why would you pass through the valley of tears? Because anytime you decide, I'm on a journey. I've decided to start a journey. From now on, I'm following God. I'm not following what I want anymore or what somebody else expects me to do. I've made a decision to go on a pilgrimage and follow God. So you're going in this direction. Once you make that decision, I promise you, you will go through the valley of tears. Not just once, but many times. 
There's going to be things, when you really do what God wants you to do, there's going to be tears involved. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be hard times. So it says, as they pass through the valley of tears, they dig a well. Dig a well. What is this talking about? Why would you dig a well there? Well, as you look through the Bible, you'll see examples of people that have an encounter with God. And to celebrate that encounter with God, they would dig a well. And they would dig this well, and they would name it something related to their encounter. So, and they would say, so that way I always remember what God did for me in this spot. And anybody else that comes through, when they see that well and, and what it's called, it will let them know the good thing that God did to me as well. So... When you hear it, dig a well, what's it talking about? It's talking about that, something that made sense to them. As they pass through the valley of tears, they dig a well, and they go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. In other words, they get strength. They get strength from it. They grow from it. So you just make a decision. I'm going to follow God, and it's saying life will not get easier. Just because you follow God doesn't mean your financial problems dissolve. Just because you follow God doesn't mean your marriage problems dissolve. Actually, it could get worse. If you decide to follow God and your spouse is going a different direction, it could create more conflict. If you, desire, if you decide to follow God and your girlfriend or boyfriend are going in a different direction, it could cause more conflict. Because you say, no, no, no. I want to do what's right. They might not want to do what's right. Following God might not make life easier. It might create more tears. It might create more heartache. It might create more pain. And you're making a decision. Do I really only want what this world has to offer? Or do I want a relationship with God? Now... I'm not saying that you don't get a better life. I'm just saying it doesn't mean your troubles go away. You will get a better life. But it doesn't mean your troubles will go away. In fact, your troubles could get worse when you decide to follow God. Long term, you do have a better life. And obviously, for eternity, you have a better life. So, do you notice that he didn't dig the well... After he got through the heartache at the end. Because that's not where God met him. He didn't dig the well after God gave him the solution. Okay, oh, God gave me the solution. Wow, praise God, I'll dig the well here. He dug the well in the valley of tears. In the middle of the problem, because that's where God met him. He's digging the well before he even knows the answer. Before he gets his strength, before he sees God work out the problem, because God didn't meet him when the problem was worked out. God met him in the middle of his mess, in the middle of his problems, and without even knowing how it's going to work out, I'm going through this pain, this problem, and I seek God, and that's where God met me. So he says, I'm going to remember this day, the day that God met me, which was in the middle of my heartache. 
in the middle of my pain. Why is that important? If you don't remember where God met you, he probably won't get the glory when you find the solution. He won't. Because you don't remember that that's where he met you. So you know what you think? You think you worked it out. You think, man, I'm all this, I'm all that. I worked out all my problems. Look at how good I am. Or you think circumstances worked it out, and it's just nature, and it just happened. Some sort of spiritual force or whatever. But you'll believe anything. But if you remember, I'm going to remember. I'm going to dig a well right here. I'm going to remember that this is when I went to God. I hit bottom, and I turned to God. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. That's the day I'm going to remember. When you remember that, you'll see what God's done. And you know who will get the glory? God will get the glory. Everybody will know it's God that's changed my life. It's God that turned things around. It's God that I'm praising for the strength he gave me. Even though I dug the well, I met God in the middle of the Valley of Tears. There's another reason for digging a well in the middle of the Valley of Tears is there's going to be other people that are going to go by that valley that need a drink of water. There's going to be other people in that pain that needs what you have to offer them. You're not the only person that's going to go through the valley of tears, but you can be somebody that encounters God there. And with your relationship with God, that can be used to help somebody else in that same valley. But if you don't see God working in your valleys... In your pain, and your hurt, you're not going to offer hope for somebody else through God. You know, you might say, well, I did this, I did that. But you won't, if you don't see what God did in your life, what do you have to offer them spiritually? There's no well to give them a drink of water. They're in that valley of tears, and you can't help them. God wants you to take your greatest pain and use it to help others. Use it to help others. No matter what it is, if it's alcohol, if it's drug, drugs, if it's a, a failed relationship, whatever your greatest pain has been, and you've seen God take you from that point and deliver you, use your greatest pain to help others. Never waste a hurt. Never waste a hurt. Oswald Chambers, in his famous book, My Utmost for His Highest, said, if you yourself do not cut the rope that keeps you tied to the dock because you're hanging on for security, God wants you to do something else. You're hanging on for security. He said, if you don't cut that rope, God just might send a storm that sets you out to sea. If God is saying, follow me, no, I'm safe here, I'm secure. Get on the boat and go. I have places to take you. I don't know what's out there. I'm going to hang on to this. He says, if you're not willing to cut that rope and go out to sea, God might bring a storm along that makes you go out to sea. Why would God do that? Because God cares more about you than he cares about your comfort. He cares more about you than he cares about your comfort. Can you imagine having a child that's ready to go to kindergarten and they're afraid to go? They're kind of afraid. I've never gone to kindergarten before, Mom, Dad. And if you care more about their comfort than them, you keep them home. First grade comes along. You keep them home. Second grade. Well, 
come on, my son isn't comfortable to go to school yet. Come on, he's, you know, ninth grade. You keep him home. Yeah, right? If you care about comfort more than you care about their character, if you care about comfort more than you care about them, you'll make decisions that hold them back. You'll keep them tied to the dock. You'll never let them go out to sea. And in the long run, you're ruining their life. God cares more about you than he cares about your comfort. He cares about your character more than he cares about your comfort. Oswald went on to say, so be careful never to go back to what you once were. When God wants you to become something that you have never been. You know, God's saying, I want to take you to Hawaii. Get out to sea. I want to take you to Fiji. There's some great places to see you. And you're hanging on to that dock, and you never get out of your security of the world that you're in. God cares about you too much to allow that. Nahum 1.3, that is the name of a book in the Bible, little bitty one in the Old Testament. The Lord has his, his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust at his feet. There are clouds on the horizon. There are tough times ahead, but God's in it. God's there. God hasn't forsaken you. You see the clouds coming into your life, and God's saying, I'm there. My feet are right there with you. I'm walking along. We think when we hit a hard time, for some reason, we believe that God's left us. Like, God, why have you left me? I'm going through such a hard time right now. Where are you when I need you? And God is saying, when those storms come, my feet are right there with you. I haven't left you. God is still with you. In the valley of tears is where you meet him. Right there. So, are you worried about anything? What are you worried about? What are the things that are stressing you out that are not allowing you to have peace? that are causing you to be in a valley of tears. I want to start by looking at what Jesus says about worry. In Matthew 6, 25 through 34, it says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even in Solomon, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We're going to look at this, what Jesus says about worry. Worry 
is trying to control something that you can't control. That's why you worry about it. It's out of your control. So the first thing that I see here that Jesus is saying, in your notes, you can fill in the blank. Worry is unreasonable. It's unreasonable. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? This is saying the things that we worry about are trivial. Don't sweat those small things. And remember, the God of the universe is in control. Everything is small, even that disease, even that financial problem. It's not small to you. Everything's small stuff to God. God is big enough to do it. What we think is the most giant problem in our life to God, that's peanuts. I can do this. I can take care of that. So it's a, it's a faith issue. It's a trust issue. If I trust God, I realize worry is unreasonable because he's big enough to handle anything. If I don't trust God, I worry. It goes on. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? If God can take care of the birds, if God can take care of the flowers, it's saying he can take care of you. Aren't you more important to God than the birds? Aren't you more important to God than the flowers? Hey, I, I like birds. Okay, I do. I like birds. And I like to see the different color birds. And I've always been fascinated by birds. Not crows. <laughs> but birds. And I was amazed when I got here. And you have, I don't know if you guys know, notice these things, but we have those green parrots that fly around. You see them in Hermosa Beach. You see them in Malibu. You see them in certain communities, and they go like, they're loud, and they sound yucky. But they're interesting because they don't belong here. I guess they escaped from something, and they've overpopulated. They're supposed to eat the same food that crows eat, and they, they say in about 50 years or something like that, I don't remember the time, but I heard them saying that they're going to take over the crow population, and soon there won't be any crows here. Uh, I said, good. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I like birds. I like little yellow birds and blue birds. And, you know, I like all that type of stuff. I like flowers. Now, don't give me a bouquet. That's not what I mean. Okay. But I like flowers. I, I like this type of stuff. But come on. Don't you think I love my children more than I like birds and flowers? So if God takes care of the birds and flowers, don't you think he loves you more he, than the birds and flowers? So you see, in other words, he's saying, if God takes care of nature, don't you kind of think he's going to take care of you? He loves you more 
than that. So it's unreasonable to think that God isn't going to be concerned about me. He wants to take care of you. Another thing, worry is unnatural. It's unnatural for birds to worry, for animals to worry. It's unnatural. Only humans worry. We're the only creation that he has that's worrying about things. And it's because we don't trust that God's really going to take care. Think about it. If you really believe that God's going to take care of you, you would not worry. You would not. You could not. We only worry because we don't have that trust that God's really in control, that he really has my best interest at hand. In Psalm 145, it says, referring to God, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. My first question is, are you alive? That means you're qualified. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Have you heard this before? God will meet your needs. God will meet your needs. Have you heard that before? Notice what this verse is saying. It's not saying that. You open your hand and satisfy the desires. See, a lot of us think that God will meet our needs, but we don't think he'll meet our desires. Okay? There are desires that you have that are good and healthy. Not every desire you have is good and healthy. Okay? Remember, God's smart enough to know the difference, right? Okay. So, God, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. That's interesting to me. Because that tells me, do you mean it's not selfish for me to pray for my desires? Absolutely not. It's not selfish. That's the right thing to do. Pray for your desires. Let's say that you're single and you desire to get married one day. Pray for your wife now. Pray for her well-being now. Pray for your husband now. Pray for his well-being now. Pray that he's growing spiritually now. Pray that you're growing spiritually now. If you have a desire for that, why not pray for it? Why not ask God for it? Why not get prepared for it? You know, you're traveling on a vacation. And everybody in the car, and there's just a few little towns up ahead. And everybody in the car is saying, oh, I really wish we could have some pizza today. And you think, well, this town only has 500 people. Hey, it's not a sin to pray for pizza. <laughs> oh, God, we pray that there's pizza up ahead. You know, and then you get there, and it's the first day the pizza restaurant is open or whatever. But it might not be there. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is, he wants to satisfy your desires. God wants to satisfy your desires. Pray about your desires. There's nothing wrong with that. It seems to me that there might be something wrong with maybe not praying for our desires unless we know our desires are wrong. God is smart enough to figure it out. Pray about everything. Give it to God. Then, number three, worry is unhelpful. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Have you ever worried about something and as a result, your gray hair went away? It never happened to me. But I went through some stress and worry and got a few gray hairs. You understand what I'm saying? Worry does the opposite of adding to your life. It takes away your life. It is physically bad for you. 
Your body wasn't designed for worry. And people say, I'm worried sick. And you know what? It's, they're telling you the truth. They are worried sick. In America, Americans have, I don't know how they figured this stuff out, okay? Uh, Americans have 7.5 billion headaches a year. That's 25 headaches a year per person. That's a headache once every two weeks for everybody on average. Some people are less, some people are more. Let me tell you what, that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of stress. And why are they taking medication for it? Because it's affecting them physically. Worry takes your life. It doesn't add to it. So it's, you don't want to worry. You're killing yourself with it. It makes you miserable. Look at Proverbs 12.25. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. We want to be cheered up. We want to be encouraged. Number four, worry is unnecessary. It's not necessary. When, have you ever worried about something and it made things better? It's not necessary. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. When you trust God, worry is unnecessary. God already knows what you need. And your worry does not have the power to change the future. God does. God has the power to change the future. Your worry does not have any power at all to change the outcome. You can worry, and the outcome may work out. You can worry, and the outcome may not work out the way that you want it. But worry has absolutely no power at changing the outcome. It's unnecessary. I don't need worry. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's, it does nothing for me. Proverbs, what, this is something against me. Proverbs 4, 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to, his rit to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Would you circle that word all? All my needs. You know what I discovered in, in reading this in the Greek, that word all? That word all means all. It's a, that's what it means. It says, and my God will meet all your needs, all your needs, according to his riches. And God's rich. God's rich. He owns everything, according to his riches. Does that include your bills? Can you give your bills to God and say, God, I need help here? Absolutely. That relational conflict? Absolutely. Your dreams, goals, and ambitions, your health issues, bring it all to God. He says, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is saying, worry's not the solution. God's the solution. You give it to God. Let him take care of it. Does it mean it's going to come out the way you want it to? Have you ever noticed that someone can worry about this disease that they have and give it to God and get healed? And somebody else that's just as faithful, just as committed to God, can worry about the same disease that they have, same thing, give it to God, and die? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that some people get healed and some people die? And have you noticed that sometimes there's a non-Christian that doesn't have faith in God, and their cancer goes into remission, and they have no faith in God? And there's other people that have faith in God, praying, and they die of the same disease. Have you noticed that? I have. And I've seen it the other way, too. Okay, 
But have you noticed that no matter what the outcome is, someone that doesn't have faith in God or a Christian that's not putting their faith in God can be miserable that whole process. The two years that they're sick, they can be miserable and stressed out the whole, not worried about what's going on because they have no faith in God, even a Christian not putting their faith in God. And whether it goes into remission or not, they were living hell on earth for two years. And there's other people that put their faith in God, and no matter what the outcome is, they have peace for that two years. They've enjoyed life for that two years. Okay? So you might not know if God's going to take you home to be with him at the end of that disease, or if it's going to go in remission or go a different direction, you might not know the answer. But you could have peace and enjoy and have the best life possible during those two years. And you can be dying of cancer, and during that time, the rest of your life could actually be the best of your life. It might be the first time that you really give him, okay, I'm going 100%. Because I can tell you, when you go 100% for God, it's going to be the best of your life, even if it's the... Even if the rest of your life is only two more years. And that person can die in peace thinking, these last two years have been the best two years of my life. Simply because they were finally at peace, not worrying all the time, not stressed out all the time, trusting God. They might die. They might get healed. But it's their choice whether they're miserable for two years or whether they're loving life for those two years. It's our choice. It doesn't matter what the situation is. In Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the answer. That's the, that's the solution for getting rid of worry. You're trusting. What does trust mean? Let's think about that. What exactly does it mean when you're trusting? Well, it means to allow someone to do something without fearing the outcome. That's what it means. I'm going to allow you, you know, I say to Kevin, do what you need to do with the worship team, and I don't fear the outcome. I only fear if I was the one that had to do it. Then I would fear the outcome because I'm not gifted in that way. You know, I don't fear the outcome. You do, And I don't even think about it. I know he's very capable and competent, and he's going to do an excellent job. So I, don't, I have 100% trust in him to do what he does. I don't even think about it. I don't worry about it. It's never on my mind to stress about because I trust him that much. Okay, when it comes to God and your problems, do you trust God to handle your problems like that? God, here's my problems. I'm trusting you. Take care of it. That's what trust means. Trust means the resting of the mind in the faithfulness, reliability, integrity, and friendship of another person. You trust the other person so much that you never worried about it. My relationship with them is so good that I never worry about it. That's what trust is. Do you have that relationship with God? You trust in him so much that you never worry about it. Whatever the situation is, you don't worry about it. That's what God wants. He wants you to trust him. In Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he, re because he trusts in you. you. Would you like perfect peace? I want perfect peace. 
I want perfect peace. It comes from trusting in God. You won't find it anywhere else. Anywhere else. That's why when the Prince of Peace, on Christmas, we're celebrating the Prince of Peace, you want to put your whole heart into God. You won't find that peace anywhere else. God provides. Do you notice that God always provides ahead of time? He always provides ahead of time. With Adam and Eve, for example, he didn't create them on the sixth day. I mean, he didn't create them on the first day. He created them on the sixth day. But the first five days, he's providing for them. You look at what he creates. He's providing a place for them to live first. He's providing food for them to eat first. As you look through the days, everything is being provided before they come. He didn't make them first with no place to be, with no food to eat. He provided everything ahead of time so that when he brought them there, it was already taken care of. You'll see how God provided for Noah if you read that story. You'll see how God provided for Hagar if you read that story. You'll see how you might remember the story where God tells Abraham. I know this sound, if you haven't heard the story, it's going to sound shocking. God tells Abraham, take your son Isaac and sacrifice him to me. Okay? And when Abraham hears this, one of the words that Abraham says is, or the phrases that he says ahead of time, God, the Lord, will provide. In Hebrews, it says that Abraham thought that if God wants me to do this, then because God's already promised me that my ancestry is going to go through this guy, my son, since God already promised me this, God will provide. He'll raise him back to life. That's what he says in Hebrews. It talks about that. So anyhow, he goes, and what happens is he gets there, and there's a ram for him to sacrifice to the Lord, not his son. Okay, because this was written before the Ten Commandments, do not kill. <laughs> but God was teaching him a lesson in the story. What God was saying is, this isn't what you're going to do for me. This is what I'm going to do for you. That was the story. The story is a Jesus story. Abraham, take your son, your one and only son, and sacrifice him for me. He gets there, and God doesn't let him do it because it's not really what you're doing for me. That's what I'm going to do for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God provided a lamb. What I'm trying to say is God had a solution ahead of time. God's already provided the solution of whatever problem you have. Whatever you're worrying about, God already has a solution. The solution's already there. So don't worry. God, you have the solution? I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to let the rest of my days be the best of my days, whatever that means, however long that is. In Philippians 4, 6 through 9, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever true, what, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So the Bible says don't be anxious. But in everything, not just in the big things, in everything, big things, little things, sometimes we forget, like, we're praying to the God that parted the Red Sea. You know, we're praying to the God that raised the dead. 
We're praying to the God that created the universe. And somehow we don't think he can take care of our problems. Like, oh, this problem is too big. Not even God can help me on this one. That's ridiculous. If you created the universe, he can help. If you raised the dead, he can handle your problem. Nothing's too big for him and nothing's too small for him. You can pray to him about everything. It says, in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. Circle the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. I want the peace of God. I want the peace of God. If you pre present your prayers with thanksgiving to God, he will give you the peace of God. But it goes on. It tells you something even better than that. Whatever is true, noble, or right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about those things. Whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Notice how he didn't say all these things perfect them. He didn't say to perfect them. He said put them into practice, which means practice them. These things that are noble and right and pure, practice those things. And then it says, and the God of peace will be with you. Circle the God of peace. I don't just want the peace of God. I want the God of peace. All right? It's like in the valley of tears, you have that well. I don't want a drink of water from the well. I want the well. I don't want the peace from God. I want God. You get both. You get both. But the first part of that verse, you're just praying to God and you get some peace. The second part of that verse is you're changing the way you think. And now you've got God. Now you've got God going. You get God, the God of peace. Are there Christians that have the Holy Spirit living their life? You're saved. But you don't have a sense of peace in your life? Absolutely. In fact... As a Christian, we can have God's peace in our life and something new come up and we lose it. It's a daily battle to change the way you think. It's a daily battle to change the way you think. It's an ongoing for, for your life. You can be trusting God for 20 years and something happens and for whatever reason you're not trusting God and what happens? Worry comes. You've got the God of peace. Not just the peace of God, but you've got the God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. This is why we're celebrating Christmas. Is he didn't just come to take away your sins so you can go to heaven. He came so you can have peace now, today, on earth. He wants to bless your life. So I want us to pray. We're going to pray about these things. And I want you to think about the things that have been, you've been worrying about. I know I joked at the beginning about things like, you know, when are the relatives going home and that type of stuff. But I think there's people in here that probably really have some real worries. Things that are really stressing you out with work. It could be smaller things, but it bothers you, you know, with your health, with your marriage, with your job, with your finances, with your kids. I believe that there's people here that have stress. And I want us to realize Christmas reminds us that it's the Prince of Peace that came. He came to give you peace. He came to give you peace. 
So let's take these thoughts, whatever it would be. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and you can pray along with me silently. Make this your prayer to God. Anything I say that, that you feel like is in your heart, pray along with me silently. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your kindness and your love and your faithfulness. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you that you're willing to transform the way we think so that we can be like you. Lord, we present ourselves to you. We are offering you our strengths, our weaknesses, our successes, our failures, our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our nightmares. We're giving it to you. By faith, we release all these things to you. We surrender to you. We cast all of our cares on you. Lord, we want to receive your grace. We want strength for our weaknesses, peace for our fears, forgiveness for our sins, grace to forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, we look to you to meet our needs, to even meet our desires, guide our steps, direct our thoughts, protect us from evil. We invite you to fill us with your spirit. Let us be an extension of your grace to the people around us that we can show them love. There may be some people here today while we're praying and you would say that you've never surrendered your life to God. You've never done it. Make this your prayer today. Pray this along with me silently. Lord, I need you. I want to surrender my life to you. I'm putting my faith that you died on the cross to pay off my sins. I believe I'm forgiven because of what you did. Lord, everything I am, I'm giving it to you. I know I won't be perfect. I can't be perfect. But even when I fall down, I'm trusting in you to help me back up. I'm yours from this point on. Thank you for allowing me into your family. It's in Jesus' name that I make this commitment. Amen.